the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Saturday on Woods and Water South Carolina. Afternoon, Taylor. Good afternoon, Dad. It's a relatively short week from the last show to today's show. We... Mm-hmm. Uh, Scheduling has been challenging this week <laughs> for us, so we had to move it way up to the beginning of the week uh, to get this show in. And, and because it, of that, and because of scheduling and all, you're going to actually hear a show that I did last year with a very, very, very cool guest that is... Meat Eater. Meat Eater. And if y'all don't know who that is, Steve Ranella. Steve Ranella. Such a cool guy. Yep. So many good recipes. I really, really wanted to eat one of his turkey recipes <laughs> that we had a while back. Uh, oh my word! Yep. Oof. He's a he's a really cool guy. We we did a really good, um, a really fun interview. You know, a lot of times when you get these guys on, they get tired of talking about hunting or are there you know uh, topics, and so. When uh, Steve and I did this last year, I, I said, "Look, I said, I, I, let's just do something different." I did a, I did a, either or and why with another guest at one time, and it really went off good. I said, "So why don't we do something like, what would you rather do, hunt uh, mountains or plains?" And he came back and goes, "Oh, that, that, that's gonna be fun." So the, <laughs> the rest of the show, except for we're gonna we're gonna come back later in the fourth segment and, and finish it out but uh second third and most of the fourth is going to be that interview with steve ranella it's really fun he, he really had a good time doing it i'm going to get him back on but things have been so up in the air and all i just kind of let everybody do their thing and once we're back to normal not the new normal but the old normal we're going to get him back on and, and do something later on this fall but yeah so this show is pretty much going to be a rerun of the steve ranella interview from last may actually the Saturday your sister got married is when we ran this one. Oh, wow. So Memorial Day, we're just a week later. But like I said, because of scheduling this week, this is uh, we just couldn't get our guests in like we wanted to, so we decided to drop back punt. And you're, But you're going to enjoy it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really good interview. It is. It's a really good show. He's a fun one. But so we don't <laughs> kind of – we scramble for, to fill in a little bit here. Um, and really we only have one – True calendar events, because people are still saying we're trying to get things set up and we're going to get these going. We're not sure. In fact, we're still on hold for Lacrosse, Wisconsin. We don't know if we're going or not going. And hopes are we will be going. Hopes are we'll be going to Lacrosse to watch a couple of teams from South Carolina compete in the high school, national, and world championships Mm -hmm. that are going to go on there. So we're kind of on hold just to see what happens with. The state of Wisconsin. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the calendar events brought to you by... The Anderson Green Pond Landing and Event Center. Neil Paul shared this with me, and it just made my Monday morning just so much brighter. 
<laughs> Ritz and Groceries is reopening. Yay. Now you never if you never if you ever eaten at Ritz and Groceries, you know how good the food was. And they kind of took a high break. I think last fall or last summer they shut down and were only doing uh, special events. And they were doing like some box lunch stuff and all. And um, But anyway, uh, they posted up. Does anyone remember reading the book when you were a kid about old man wickets? Damned if you do and damned if you don't. That is how I feel. That in mind, and a little time in retirement, Grits and Groceries is ready to reopen starting June the 3rd, which was Wednesday. It'll be the same great people about the same great food, but on a smaller footprint. They're only serving lunch Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from right now from 10 to 2. Now, Neil and I are on a mission to get them open up to at least breakfast a couple of mornings because you've got to go down and have the praline bacon and the dirty omelet. I'm telling you, folks, if we can't get them to open back up for breakfast, it's going to be a it's just going to be a shame to society. But anyway, you do get them for at least a couple of days a week for lunch, which would be really cool. And they, they actually their their first lunchtime menu. Okay, get this <clears throat> on Wednesday: sloppy boudreaux with fresh cut fries, uh, family re- reunion salad, which is a scoop of chicken salad, pimento cheese, and potato salad with devil eggs. <laughs> Thursday: Smitty's chicken pan, chicken breast served over Cajun pasta, liver and onion with grits and biscuits. And a BLTC salad, which is a grilled chicken breast with bacon, tomato salad, and homemade ranch dressing. And then on Friday, yesterday, sorry, y'all missed this first week, um, granddaddy's catfish stew with cornbread, low country shrimp and grits, and stuffed French toast. Whew. So we got to get them back on it. We got, we're going to start. That's what we need to do. We need to start a a, um, a <laughs> some kind of Facebook page to get Chris <laughs> to open back up for breakfast. So anyway. That's what happens when Neil Paul and... Your hosts get together. Oh, we eat. Go on a mission. We eat. No, no. They eat. If you you need to do some research on grits and groceries. They were both cooks <laughs> for Emerald in New Orleans. Oh, wow. The white, husband and wife. So, good story there. Taylor, you got some news from the Department of Natural Resources? I do. This was released May 28th. Um, the results of the 2019 Deer Hunter Survey conducted by South Carolina Department of Natural Resources indicated that there was a statewide deer harvest decrease by only 1% last season. Um, the estimate was 105,201 bucks, um, and 87,872 does were harvested. Um, they have an estimate 194,986 total deer harvest in 2018. So you can kind of see that, that, um, decrease there because the average for this year was 193,073. So not much of a decrease. Not much of a decrease, but still. Um, the fall of 2019 was the third season of the all-deer tagging system and statewide limit on all-antler deer. Um, that The harvest has increased 12% since 2016, um, but they think that's primarily the result of the increased doe harvest, which is 18%, rather than the increase in bucks. Um, there's... Charles Ruth has his whole um, explanation there. And there are 31 pages of information on this. But um, as far as the rest of this article goes, 2019 for the top counties in the Piedmont area include Anderson, Lawrence, and Spartanburg. Um, so that's why it's really important for y'all. Don't to, mention the low country to, there? They do mention the low okay, country. Okay, well, what's the top countries in the low country? Bamberg and Beaufort. And the coastal plain? Mm-hmm. 
Huh. And, and you and the cool thing about the deer harvest, you can download it. It's on the DNR website. Mm-hmm. If you go to their Facebook page and find this news story, it, and and you say, have to say see more down there at the bottom as a link to it. Uh, Thirty-one pages PDF, and it's chock full of charts and graphs and long-term curves and uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Long-term <laughs> trends. There we go. Trends. <laughs> the word I'm looking for today. And it's really cool. I think they sent out 30,000. Mm-hmm. I went in and read it, and I think they sent out 30,000 and, and got back about 7,000. 30,000 surveys, got back seven. And, and Charles will tell you he's not expecting to get 30,000 back, but as long as he gets and just a, enough, an average over time of those surveys that statistically they can say this is how it's going. But that's why it's super important to follow through those surveys if you get them. That's right. Because they are used to help us, and you are in return. You're going to help DNR with that. So good information in, good information out. Yep, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, so like I said, hang with us for the rest of the show. It is going to be Steve Ranella, an interview we did last year. That's good. It's gonna it's gonna give you some insight into Steve as a person and what he likes to do and some of his some of the fun stuff. Um, the bear story is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. And Taylor, you looked over the website. Lots of stuff there. Lots of podcasts and yep. recipes and, lots, and of, lots of fun articles. And he's expanded his brand a lot. And he's taken some he's taken some lumps for it. But I believe overall, I think he uh, has really done a good job of representing the outdoors to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So with that. I think we're about ready for the music. Is the music coming up? Well, I'm playing the board, so. Yeah, you are. It's the right music this time, isn't it? The right music is getting there. All right, hang on through the break. Steve Ranella. Welcome back to Woods and Waters, South Carolina. I am constantly amazed at both the people I meet while I'm out as part of Woods and Waters, South Carolina, and, and the people who donate time to this show. And uh, my guest today, I, I first met him at the North American Deer Summit in Louisville, Kentucky, May 7th, 2015. He was the keynote speaker, and he gave a great address at dinner that night, and I actually went back and listened to it because Steve Ranella is joining us again on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Steve, thanks for taking a few minutes and being on the show. Thank you for having me on. That was a great that was a great address you gave that night. And if anybody's got time, 31 minutes, they need to go listen to it. Man, that was a long time ago, right? <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a long time ago, but, you know, it's, it's one of those moments. I mean, you were sitting in the back of the room. I came in the door. I was trying to figure out where to sit. And we just started talking, and I knew who you were, and I'm kind of kind of a little nervous talking to you and all. But we started talking about bear hunt, and and you ended up saying, hey, if you want a good bear hunt, you need to go to the Chugach Mountains in Alaska and the, just get up above the tree line, walk a creek above the tree line, and there's bears everywhere. And I'm like, this is a good guy, even though he is from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, starting off this thing, Meat Eater, everybody knows Meat Eater, the show, 
Talk about the evolution of media for just a minute, where it started and where it is today. Yeah, uh, media started out as simply as a TV show. Um, I think it was back in 2010, maybe, around 2010. Yeah. Yep. 2011, I did a show on Travel Channel. We did like an eight-episode series right. on Travel Channel. And coming out of that, the production company that I made that with, uh, 0.0 Production, coming out of that, we wanted to just make a show that we owned ourselves. And so we started uh, media there, the TV show. And we've, we're now um, we're editing our eighth season. We've made wow. uh, over 100 episodes of Meat Eater, uh, three of those seasons. So, you know, close to 50 episodes live on Netflix. Right. We'll have more going up on Netflix soon. And, uh, um, and then since then, we launched a podcast and then got into a bunch of other things. So now we have, uh, you know, Meat Eater Inc., so to speak, has a, a network of, um, five podcasts now, and we have a, a website that has a lot of daily content that goes up at themeateater.com, um, a lot of daily hunting, fishing, conservation, and culinary material. And we do books, so we've done a number of books with Random House. And so kind of a, a, well-rounded, um, a well-rounded outdoor media enterprise is what, is what the TV show has gradually morphed into. And it's been a great thing. To see. I mean, you've got April Vokey writing fishing articles for you. You've got and it's taken probably taking a lot of the load off of you. I mean, you probably got more time to to manage this whole thing now, don't you? No, I feel like I have less time all <laughs> less time all the time. I'm gone a lot, you know, and it's it, it's a lot of you know I don't I don't want to call it work, but sure. it, yeah, it's a lot of it's, it's yeah. I guess yeah, it is work. It's a lot of work. It is work, and um, yeah, it's fun and rewarding. And I still get to spend some time out. Yeah. Um, things were really great. Like a few years ago, you know, we were making 16 episodes of TV a year. Yeah. Um, and that just wasn't sustainable, man. You know, I have young kids. Right. Married. Uh, doing 16 shows a year was just brutal. So I've slowed that down a little bit and, and trying to not travel quite as much. But I'm still on the road all the time. We just did a live, we just did a live podcast tour and did 12 cities. Yep. And, you know, and that turns into a lot of days gone. So yeah, we always have stuff going on. Um, you know, but in, in more and more I'm focused now. Like I like to have time on the weekends to take, to get out in the, to get out in the woods or on the water with my kids, you know, and that's, that's yeah. a priority of mine. But yeah, man, we're, uh, you know, we're up and cranking. It's good to have other, other content contributors that I work with because it helps and put they're, more material out. Yeah. And they're all good in their own field. You know, they really are. Yeah. No, we, we, yeah, we, we got a, we got a pretty, we got a pretty solid team and it's a team that we're growing. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, we, we talked about how to do this and, and, nothing going to be political here or controversial here, but it's just going to be fun. Uh, here's Steve Rinella, and here's what he likes to do. So let's let's get this off. All right, we, we, you, just, you just talked about it. You started out with Media to TV, and now you got the podcast and all that you love to do. What do you like better, the TV show or the podcast side? Man, um, well, that's, that's really tough. <laughs> I enjoy, let me put this, I enjoy recording the podcast more because I'm always learning a lot because we have great guests on. So the actual act of doing it, I yeah. enjoy the act of doing it more. But I get to see, I get to hear cooler things doing the podcast and I get to see cooler things filming the show. So that's, it, 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 it's, uh, it's not a, it's not a great answer for you. Sorry. Oh no, it's a great answer. I'm too torn. I'm too, <laughs> I'm, I'm too torn between the two of them. <laughs> But that's good because because I, if you come up here and go, oh man, I hated the meat eater side of things and I love the podcast, but that would have been bad. 
Yeah, I can tell you that I really, uh, I've never liked, you know, I've written a lot of books, man. I've yep. never liked, I've never liked writing books. Really? I like having gotten, no, I like getting them done, but yeah. I do not like the act of doing I do not like the act of doing it. Misery. <laughs> but you've written like seven or eight now, right? Six of them, yeah. It's misery. Actually doing them is misery, but there's nothing better than getting them done, you know? Well, I mean, that, that leads me to one of the other questions out of here. What was the favorite? All right, say so misery. We'll, we'll we'll preface this with writing books is misery for Steve Rinella. But yep. what was the least miserable book you wrote? Uh, my book, American Buffalo. What's that I was about? Really now? able to focus on it. Oh, it's a, you know it's a kind of a history of buffalo or bison, you know, in this country, and it's centered around a couple of things. I found a skull up in the mountains one time. Okay, kind of a lot about that animal. And then it's also about when I drew a limited draw permit to hunt the Copper River in Alaska. There's a, yes. there's a buffalo herd up there. Yes. And so it tells that story, but it's also the story of the animal from, you know, the ice ages into the future even. But I, I enjoyed it because I was able to really focus on it. Um, I had already done a book, so I kind of knew what I was doing. I was able to spend a couple of years doing the research. It was just a really pleasant time. Um, and, and it was kind of my favorite. It's my favorite book that I've written. That uh, that Bisoner, I have a buddy that lives in Glen Allen, and oh yeah, yeah. And, and he's all around that. So that that's a what is that an August hunt? No, it's a, hell, I think you get like eight months or something. Oh, do you? <laughs> like, okay, oh, yeah, it runs all through the winter. You know, no, it's a long, it's a long season. I did it in October. Okay, it was a good month to do it. But yeah, you, you, I think it's like it's like a, it's an eight or nine month window. Yeah, you get plenty <laughs> of opportunities. A lot of guys will go in March. You know. Yeah, well, it's funny because he lives there, and then I was just at a, a turkey hunt down here in South Carolina for uh, mobility impaired hunters, and there was a one of the guides there that I met last year. His buddy got drawn from one. His buddy lives here and got drawn for that hunt, and they went up and spent like a month up there doing their hunt. They got a nice bull. Yep, man. I tell you, every year I got a buddy that draws that thing. Now my brother got one there. My butt, uh, one of our hunting buddies got one there. Another one of our buddies got one there. Another buddy's got, got it this year. You know, every year they give out about 20 tags. So, yeah. Um, so my social circle's been involved in that. I was the first one, but now since then, my people in my social social, what am I trying to say? Social circle <laughs> has been, uh, that's not normally a tongue twister for me. No, it's have not. Been, uh, have, been, have been pretty lucky in there. Gotcha. Do they all call you for advice? No, man, I wrote a whole book about it, so it's, <laughs> available, for it. Anyone. <laughs> it's available for anyone to find out. I kind of blew that spot up, man. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Going back to the podcast, who is Janice? Tell us about the Latvian Eagle. Yeah, Janice, Janice Poodlis. Yes. His real name is Janice Poodlis. Okay. And uh, oddly, kind of coincidentally, he went to high school with my wife, so... When I met my wife, she'd always say, there's only one guy I've ever met that, you know, hunts as much as you do, and it was this guy Giannis from high school. And it was always just in one year and out the other. I never paid, you know, I never paid that much attention to it. <laughs> and one day I'm looking at a hunting magazine, and I see a picture of a dude, and it said, like, Giannis Putellis glasses the Colorado high country. And I was like, that's the guy my wife's always talking about. So he had, he had moved up to Alaska, and we were filming up in Alaska and hired him to carry a backpack for us. Okay. He agreed to come on a sheep hunt carrying a backpack. He didn't realize he was being paid. He just thought he was going for fun. <laughs> and now he's our producer. So we've got, we're kind of, yeah, we've got a long history together now. But yeah, he, he, you know, he was hanging out with my wife when, you know, before we started earlier, you and I were talking about, you know, your daughter. Sure. 
high school social circles and all that. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was, that was, uh, Giannis and my wife were like hanging around when they were 13, 14 years old. And now I spend more time with you. I hate to say this, but I spend more time with Giannis than I do with my wife. <laughs> but, but okay. You can defend that because he's probably got a good, a lot of good information on your wife. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. So I'm able to go to him when I need to get some dirt on her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we travel a lot together, man. So he co-hosts the podcast. Yeah, and he and he produces our TV show and directs the episode. Yeah, Funny. and he's a, he's from my same home state. He's from Michigan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he he left when he you know as soon as he could got out of high school, moved out moved out to Colorado and became a started guiding fishing yeah. and guiding elk hunters, and now he's done guiding and just works with us. But yeah, we got we got a handful of guys in our crew that. Um, Handful of guys in our team that all came out of a guiding background, which is which is pretty fun because they got a lot of expertise. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good set of a good skill set, and, and a lot of good stories to boot. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Well, let's. Uh, I, I know we. Uh, I, I know a lot about you, and I'm sure a lot of people listening know about a lot about you, and and we know you love Alaska and Montana. But if you had to pick your favorite place to be, would it be Alaska or Montana? Like if I had to pick and I could only hunt in one the rest of my life or hunt and fish in one the yeah, rest of my life. Sure. Well, I live in Montana, so it's that. Uh, but man, I don't, I, mean, I, got, I got a cabin in Alaska. My brother lives up there. I love it up there. Uh, I, I love spending time. It'll be very difficult for me to make some, to make some kind of arrangement in which I didn't hang out there anymore. Um, what? Boy. I'd probably have to go Alaska because it's like, like so many of my most formative experiences were up there. You know, I really like it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun being up there, um, and it's challenging to be up there. You know, you got to you learn. It forces you to really learn a lot. You know, you, you still need to be hanging out in Alaska. You know, you still need to be like a good woodsman. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, you still need to just know how to take care of yourself and know how to make the right kind of decisions and and how to be. You know, and you, there's a lot of demands where you need to be. You need to have exercise, good spatial awareness. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can get out, you know, there's a lot of areas in the country where you can just kind of become like a, you can become pretty passive, but still be a pretty good hunter because you're in the right area. You know, yeah. you got the right spot, you got the right permission, whatever. But in Alaska, it's demanding. You know, you still need to be, you still need to have your game right. You know, not every time, not every minute, but to consistently, to be able to consistently do trips up there and be successful on your own, you know, doing like do it yourself kind of. Yeah hunting um yeah you need to have you need to bring a lot you need to bring a lot uh there's not a terrible amount of there's not too many shortcuts up there so i really like that and, and i'd like to think that you know when my kids grow up i'd like to think that they'd be the kind of that they'd have that level of competence where they could go up there on their own and figure stuff out well let's uh let's take a short break here go to the bottom of the hour and uh, we'll be back with more uh, with steve Renella. hang on for more woods and water south carolina Right now I'm on this lake shore and I'm sitting in the sun, I'm sure. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina, and welcome back, Steve Renella, meat eater, to the radio show. Uh, do a little kind of fun thing today. What do you like more and why? Going to mix it up, though, because I don't want to get in a rut. Steve, you're a great storyteller. Uh, I've listened to you tell stories and all. One, give us your scariest outdoor situation in all the 
hunting you've done from you know childhood till now, is there one you can point out and say that was the one where I really didn't know if I was going to make it? Yeah, the one that's most fresh in my head is the last thing I had. That you know, the most recent thing I have that, that shook us up pretty good, and it, it was well over a year ago now. But we were hunting in um, we were hunting on a Fognac Island up in Alaska, right. which is you know, uh, you know, if you're looking at a map that isn't too detailed, it almost looks like a Fognac and Kodiak Island are the same thing, but okay. it's actually straight that separates the Fognac from Kodiak. Okay, but it's got that same population as giant bears, you know. <laughs> and we had killed an elk and hung a bunch of the meat up there, packed a bunch of the meat out, but then hung a bunch of the meat in the tree. And it was a couple of days until we got back there to get the rest of it. While we were under that tree, we got attacked by a got attacked by a big brown bear. And, uh, man, it was harrowing, you know, just so fast, man, like that teeth just this big. All of a sudden I was just aware of these big yellow teeth just passing them like 18 inches in my face. Oh, my goodness. And my buddy hit it with a... One of the guys I was with hit it with a trekking pole. <laughs> he had pepper spray. He had a pistol on his backpack. But, you know, when that all of a sudden happened, you spend your whole life, not your whole life, but I spent a lot of my years every time about what they're going to do when the bear is sure. a bear attack and what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Here's what you're supposed to do and not do it, man. The minute it happens, it happens so fast, all that just unravels, man. But he smacks it across the face of the trekking pole, and the bear comes around. I got my ankle pretty twisted up. And then another guy I was with, got run over by the bear and fell on the bear's back and actually rolled the bear down the hill into the alders. And I thought the bear had him. Oh, my I thought, goodness. I thought the bear was carrying him, but he's just, like, riding his hump. <laughs> so the, he disappears down the alders and comes squirting back up, and then that bear comes woofing, you know, woofing back up around us. By then we had our we had our situation together, and we were, you know, had our pistols drawn and bear spray out and everything, but never got another look at the bear. But, my God, man, for just a couple minutes, there seconds, you know. Sure. For a couple seconds, you're just in this situation where you're just like, life will never be the same after. It's like, it's just how it was like, in that couple seconds that that happened, it's hard to picture all of us coming out of that all right. And it left me pretty shook up, you know? Yeah. In a lot of ways, primarily because, like I said, you know, I've been in some mix-ups with bears and been charged by bears before, but um just funny that, you know, you, you think you got it dialed and you think you know your what your response is going to be and how you're going to behave in that moment, and that moment comes and... You're nothing like you think you are. You know, at least most people aren't like what they think they're like. Good gracious alive. So the bear found the meat, obviously. And yeah, he found it. We could never tell. You know, we were looking down on the ground there when we got there. and I could never tell if he had actually – I don't know if he had gotten in there and we spooked him off. If I had to guess, that's probably what happened. Yeah. If not, it was a coincidence that he found it. <laughs> You know that he happened to find it at the minute we were under there because we weren't under there long. My, my, you know, the best I could tell is he probably found it. And it was up in the tree and he couldn't get at it. And we spooked him off coming in, and then he drifted back in, coming down the wind on us. And I think he was as scared as we were, right? Sure. I don't think he anticipated because we got a whole film crew, right? So there's six of us under that tree, super thick brush. I have to think that he didn't. If it was one of us, he'd be deader than dead, right? But I think he come rolling in there. And six people come boiling off the ground, <laughs> and I imagine it scared the scared him pretty good too. He might, he might be thinking, "What have I walked into here?" <laughs> oh yeah, you know he's probably thinking he's going to run in there and whatever. You know, he, how many times has he done that to other bears? Right? Sure. He's probably stolen carcasses. I don't know how many times. I'm sure that more than a handful of carcasses he's stolen over his years. Man. Um, 
but I bet he's never running out of crew of six people <laughs> running around screaming, swinging poles. <laughs> and one of them riding his back down the mountain. <laughs> oh yeah, he probably left. He probably was more shooken up than we were. But it was. I'm telling you, man. Then we had to get all that elk meat down out of that tree and walk out of there, and it's thick alders, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then we know a guy that the next year drew that same tag, and he got mauled. Really? Pretty. Yeah, he got mauled pretty bad. They killed the bear. But he got real tore up and wound up in a wound up in a hospital down in San Diego for quite a while. Uh, wow. Had to get medevaced out. He got really ripped up. We got a bunch of pictures of him Goodness. when that bear got off him. But yeah, that's a that's a limited draw elk permit. Anybody can do it. Any of your listeners, you know, you don't need to be a resident. You right. Just put in for it and draw Fognac elk. But if <laughs> you get it, you better watch. <laughs> yeah, when I was talking about spatial awareness. Yes. Yes. It'll test it. It'll, It'll test, test it. Goodness gracious. All right, folks, I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience before. Whoa. Um, all right, this is going to take you back to your, your childhood in, in Michigan and trapping and all. What's your favorite critter to trap, and why is it so much fun for you? Now I like trapping beavers. You know, I used to trap a lot of muskrats. We didn't have – the area I was in wasn't great for beavers. You had to go quite a bit north of us to really get in them good. Okay. Um. But, yeah, I liked it. You know, it was always cool to find it because I would always admired, you know, the, 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 the mountain men and, you know, of course, pre-mountain men. You had, like, the, you know, the, the long hunters like Daniel Boone and those guys were big beaver trappers. Sure. So there's a little bit of nostalgia there. And, and now we'll catch beavers. And the reason I like trapping beavers now is, uh, you know, the hide's great, so we'll, we'll get hats made. And, you know, a lot of people in my family will get hats for them made, and the kids all want beaver mittens and, and um, we give them away as gifts, you know, hats and mittens and stuff made, scarves made out of the fur. But also they're pretty good to eat. Huh. So that's the only thing I really, that's the really only thing I really focus on now is every spring we'll trap a handful of beavers and get the hides tanned and turned into stuff and then put the meat in the freezer and do different things with the meat. So that's what I like to focus on now. But when I was a kid, you know, uh, my favorite thing to catch, the, the, the thing I tried most hard to go catch was to get river otters. Okay. Uh, which were difficult, you know, and there's a quota on them, but that was kind of their thing. Like, if you, I always felt if you catch an otter, you were, you know, you were dialed in, you knew what you were doing. But um, most of my energy was muskrats, and now the only thing I really focus on catching would be we'll go out and catch, like I said, every spring we'll catch a couple beavers. I like to keep it, I like to keep at it just because I want my kids to be exposed to it and learn that skill set. Sure. It's funny you bring up the otter because there's a, a chapter in Meat Eater it talks about trapping and all, and it talks about when you caught that otter. You remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Tell us in, in just a minute. It's like, a bit of use, like, it's like use, useful indiscretion, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think everybody, I mean, you know, most people that grew up, like, it, it kind of depends. You know, I say that because, like, most people that grew up do a lot of hunting and fishing. Um, you know, I think that learning how to appreciate wildlife management and learn how to, like, have some respect for the rules of play, right? right. Some of that stuff learned. Like, if you're a little kid and you just didn't really grow up around, you grew up around people who played pretty fast and loose, you know, you, you just you become influenced by that and you only learn it later. I say that now because I, now I raise my kids to be, like, very aware. We spend a lot of time talking about the rules. Sure. Oh, the hunting rules. Yes. But my, you know, my dad, he was old when he had me. My dad was born during the Great Depression, man. Right. Um, my, dad was born, my dad was born in 1924, right? My dad fought in World War II, had me when he was 50 years old. So I was raised by a person who, age-wise, should have been my grandfather. grandfather. And people from that, you know, people from that era just had sort of a different 
view. Um, you know, he looked and he figured whatever, you know, he figured I'm allowed this many deer and it shouldn't really be your business how I get them. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so you grow up around that. You learn those lessons, right? Um, and it was only, it was only gradually that I, that I learned to do that. But yeah, you know, I would just sometimes let my desire to be successful, um, at whatever endeavor I was in, I would let my desire to be successful trump my, you know, desire to, to adhere to the rules of play. And, and I talk about that pretty openly in my book and, and yeah. some of the lessons there and, and ways in which I feel like, you know, some of that was misguided and try not to be, you know, I try not to be like nostalgic about it too much and talk about that that was a good thing or a bad thing, but just a reality, right? Like sure. a lot of people grew up in the outdoors, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't always adhere to the, to the, to the playbook. Yeah. And now I've gotten to a level of maturity and insight, been around enough to know that it's pretty essential that we do do that for a handful of reasons. One, to protect the resources and two, to protect the privileges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we had, I know you said one, you got, you got a few more minutes to go yet? Oh yeah, man. Okay. Oh, yeah, right okay. We haven't talked about it much. Fishing. I know you fish. Uh, freshwater salt water. Last two days, man. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> salt, probably salt water. Even though I, you know, I live in Montana, right? There's no sure. salt water around here, but right. I, but I really like salt water fishing. I'll tell you why I like salt. There's a, there's a mystery to salt water fishing. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, you know, freshwater fishing. Yeah, I love it, right? I do, and I spend more days fishing freshwater than salt. Okay. But when we're up at a cabin fishing salt, or anytime we're out in the ocean, I mean, it's like you just don't know. When you get a hit, you can't even begin to fathom like what it could be, right? There's what you're after, but there's, there's so much mystery. Yes. Yeah. And in salt water, you can catch fish and be like, you know, frankly, I don't know what that fish is. To be perfectly honest with you, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> there's something to be said for that, you know, just the mystery, man. Yeah, if, um, you're, if you're going trout fishing, you're pretty much going to tri- catch trout, maybe a creek chub here or there. Uh, you go brand exactly, fishing. But, you know, you get out, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get out in 300 feet of water. Yeah. And salt. And you lower some kind of bait down there at the bottom. It's like, who knows? Open and, and I really like that mystery. And I like the size of those fish, you know. There's some big fish in the ocean, man. Oh, yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. If I had to take one or the other, yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would go salt, but, uh, reluctantly. Reluctantly. Let's take a short break here and uh, we'll be back with more uh, with Steve Renella. Hang on for more Woods and Water, South Carolina. Right now. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina, and welcome back, Steve Ranella, meat eater, to the radio show. And there's some great fisheries, like some great freshwater fisheries. We used to, we used to spend some time fishing the Delaware River. Yeah. You know, I remember I caught like nine species of game fish out of one stretch of river, right, which is yeah. pretty, which is, uh, you know, which is pretty surprising, but, uh, yeah, salt. 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 I'm going salt. Going salt. Okay. All right. Ah, uh, let's see here now. What? Let Give me the Steve Ranella definition of fair chase. <clears throat> oh, man. You know, I'm just, I don't know that I can do it. Okay, <laughs> I, pass. I, it's like I can tell you, um, you just kind of know, you, you know when you see it. You know, I think it's like so much comes down to, so much of it comes down to whatever, you know, what your personal mission is, right? Right. Um, and, and it's hard to make 
quick definitions because every no matter what you're doing, like there's everything has its own challenges. So I can't sit here and say that like fair chase is this and fair chase is not that. There's an interesting concept in wildlife management and the way we think about things would be like it's almost better to think about fair share is almost, you know, a better thing to wrestle with when it comes to, you know, our, our, what we do as hunters and anglers. Because when certain practices, um, when certain practices enable people to be so efficient that they gobble up or dominate a resource, and it becomes that, that that resource is very limited for everybody else. There's not enough for anybody else to have a chance to have an opportunity, right? Yeah. Like, that that's a dangerous place to be. But I can't sit and tell you that, like, oh, archery is more fair chase than rifle, because it's pretty easy archery hunts, man. And there's oh, yeah. really difficult rifle hunts out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get asked a lot, like, shooting, like, what's too far? And, and it's hard to even come up with. I can't I, I can't put a number to it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you this. If, when you pull the trigger, if you're curious about whether you're going to hit or not, it's too far. Too far. See, folks. If there's uncertainty, like, I don't know, let's try it out and see what happens. That's too far. Yeah. Okay? But I can't throw a number at you because people's skill sets are different. I know people that have no business shooting 200 yards. <laughs> and I know people who are extremely proficient at five. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like it's so situational. You just have to look at what people are doing. Um, when I go out, you know, if I go out squirrel hunting, we get onto a squirrel. Uh, I don't know. I, I have a pretty high degree of certainty sometimes that we're going to get that squirrel. Does that mean it's not fair chase? <laughs> it's, it's just real. it's really difficult, man. It's really difficult. I think there's people that want to find these kind of easy definitions, but it's just situational. It's just, you have to look at things situationally. And, and I think a lot of times when we have this conversation, we're talking about technology and technology is something we're going to have to watch really carefully. Yes. If we push it up to where, like traditionally, you know, uh, where I'm at, like archery hunters, you would traditionally have a 10 or 20 percent success rate on elk. Right. If technology pushes that to where we have a 70 or 80 percent success rate on elk with archery equipment, not that we're even close to that, but let's say that were to happen, that's a lot less elk tags. Oh yeah. A lot less, lot fewer people getting a chance to go out and 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 have a shot at the resource. So these are the kind of questions we need to wrestle with when we start talking about like fair chase and what does it mean and what are the implications for us people if you if you want to know why you need to listen to meat eater podcast it's that right there because you're going to get a different take than you ever thought you would get no oh, thanks stuff. man good stuff good stuff um oh boy man <laughs> all right favorite critter to pursue if you're at if you got your chance of of going hunting for whatever animals out there tags not a problem uh if if the opportunity presents you're going no matter what what is that animal you know if you told me that i could only for the rest of my life hunt mule deer and squirrels i'd be uh i'd be okay with it okay (laughs) i'd be be pretty comfortable i like mule deer i just like hunting big open country you know and i like when when everything's right you're seeing like a lot of bucks in any given day, you know, there's a chance of a real whopper being out there and mm-hmm. kind of out where you can see a long ways and hunt the sage flats. And the, You know, I love it, man. I love it. But then I like the, the kind of like, that's a slow game, hunting mule deer, hunting, especially if you're trying to find a big mule deer. It's a slow game. Okay. It takes a lot of time and there's a lot of days when nothing happens. So 
So if you can balance that out with some squirrel action where things are hot and, you know, hot and fast and furious, then I'd be a pretty happy dude. Now, if I, if you, let's say you limited me down to mule deer and squirrels, and then I had to pick one or the other, I'd go with mule deer because I don't mind eating mule deer every day, and okay. I don't know that I want to say that I'm going to raise a family on squirrel meat. <laughs> <laughs> but I could pull it off. Of, mule deer of course you could. Well, see, and see, that, that, answers, that answers another question, mountains or plains. If you're picking mule deer because you like the wide open spaces, I would assume you'd pick plains for a place to hunt then. Yeah, I like hunting oak, yeah. Tundra, plains, yeah. I like, I love hunting the mountains, but yeah, I like that kind of mixed zone, you know? Okay. Where the, I guess where the mountains meet the plains is what I would pick. <laughs> kind of hedge in there on me. Uh, <laughs> uh, gosh, this is good. Okay, here we go. You're going to love this because I pulled this one off the podcast the other day. Game of Thrones or Live PD? What's Live PD? <laughs> oh, no. He doesn't know what Live PD is. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'll give you a pass on that one. So I got but I got, I got, to, I got to jump off, though. Uh, but what's Live, what's live PD? I got, to, I got to call him. Okay. Live PD, Friday and Saturday nights on A&E. It's got like six or seven police departments, and you're like cameraman in the car in with the policeman doing everything they do. Yeah, check it out. Oh, it's, it's fun. So cops. Yeah. It's cops. I've on never watched. I've never. I've never watched either. <laughs> well, that was a good one. Well, man, look, I, I appreciate you. How do people find you? Internet, podcast. How do they get? Oh yeah, go, yeah. You can find me on Instagram. You know, at Stephen Ranella. Okay. Good place. Or go to TheMeatEater.com, and you'll always find me there. Steve, man, I appreciate it. I'll look to catch up with you soon, and thanks for doing this for me, man. Take care, man. See you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did doing it. I think I think when two guys laugh together that much and and connect over just things you wouldn't expect to find out about somebody. I sent Steve. I was at a uh, at a conference and I can't remember which one this was at. At I shouldn't say at. I can't remember which conference I was attending when I saw this. But one of the major influences on new hunters and new firearms buyers is the Meat Eater podcast. That was in their research. The research they did for uh, Shooting Sports Foundation, National Shooting Sports Foundation, Mm -hmm. found that Meat Eater was one of those big podcasts that a lot of new hunters and all go to for information. Wow. So I sent that to Steve. He had a ball with that one. (laughs) So anyway. Taylor, I know this is... uh, Near and dear to your heart, and I wanted to give you some time to talk about it. So, how about it? Thank you. Um, I don't know how many people have seen this. I don't know if y'all watch Fox News or YFF4. Um, there was a story out there about a young 16-year-old boy from the upstate had a diving accident about two weeks ago now. Um, and that's one of my very close friends, Austin Somerville. Um, we were at a party and he hit his head while diving in the pool. He lost all feeling from his neck down for a couple of days. He had surgery the day after the accident. He had three cervical fractures. He now has a rod supporting his back. He had multiple vertebrae were just snapped in half from the collision. Impact. But the, the impact, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but he is now having a ton of improvement. Um, prayer is a very, very powerful thing, and he is now regaining feeling in his chest and parts of his legs, which were completely 
while everything else was waking up, he could move his arms. He could hold his arms up for eight seconds. While everything was waking up, his legs were still unresponsive, but he is now finding feeling in his feet and his parts of his legs. He can feed himself a little bit. He was having some muscle spasms in his jaw for a while, which was causing the pain to just skyrocket. He His blood pressure was unstable for a very long time, and there it's now getting back under control. He is slowly getting back to where he was, and that's a huge praise. He was able to actually eat a whole turkey sub the other day, which is <laughs> Which, when you're a 16-year-old boy, <laughs> food is very important. Exactly. <laughs> so things are really looking up from where they were. Everybody was saying he's paralyzed. It's not going to happen, but it is happening, guys. So we thank you all for whoever's been praying. But we want to get that out there because you can go donate to his fund at the GoFundMe slash Austin Somerville Spinal Trauma Recovery Fund. There is a account with Traveler's Rest. Thank you, Traveler's, ba- Traveler's Rest. And you can also just go to the Facebook page. And the Facebook page is under, let's see if I can get it pulled up. Pray for Austin Somerville Spinal Trauma Recovery. So you can go find them on Facebook to get more information. Um, but things will start getting back to normal. Um, he's in an eight-week program at Shepherd Center in Atlanta um, for rehab, and they are definitely working him hard down there. But we are seeing some improvements already, and he's only been down there three days. So we thank you all forever who forever has been, has been praying for him. Um, it's been hard to watch him go through this because if you know Austin – he is one of the most genuine people you will ever talk to, and to see him go through that, to actually be there was just terrible, but to see how he's handled it is just inspiring. He has not given up at all. No, and, and the news segments from on 21 and, and 4 came from Saturday a week ago now, mm-hmm. uh, when about 75 or 80 of you, his good friends, uh, showed up at the hospital just expecting to be able to see him through his window window of his room on the second floor, and lo and behold, the doctors and nurses said, you know what, we're going to bring him downstairs. They brought him to the discharge at, at Greenville Memorial door. Hospital to the, the ICU discharge uh, and got him out in the portico between yep. the first entry door and the second one. So the kids were just a glass apart, and uh, he was waving and smiling. <laughs> he tired out pretty quickly. Yeah, he did. But, um, you know, he... Uh, He's a good kid, and it was neat to see all of you there with him mm-hmm. and, and the bond, y'all, the friendship you share, yep. and then to get some good news when he got to Shepherd Center. And he's going to need a lot of prayer. The doctors are saying anywhere from a, to a year to know exactly where he will recover to. Yep. He's got a long, hard road because Shepherd Center, they did not. They do not mince words with you down there. They, uh, yeah, you're in for the long haul. Yep, <laughs> and it's are. rough because my niece Lindsay was there when she had her accident. So, but uh, I appreciate you, Taylor, giving us that update. Of course. And um, I know it's been tough for you as a, a good friend, but I think you've handled it very well. It's. Been, I think it was better with being able to be at the hospital oh, every yeah. day yep. <laughs> since it happened. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the Steve interview. And as always, make time to get out there. Take the back race when you can. Don't forget the camera. Next week, more Woods of Water, South Carolina.